0: This is Cultivating the Empty Field, Sesshin, Day 4, talk entitled, Where is Your Mind? Where is your mind? Where is your mind? An ignatia flower sheds its colors, a tray of succulents basks in the sun. Baby deer lose their spots as the barn swallow hatchlings find their voice. Where is your mind? Where is your mind? Under the flurry of narration and expectation, the learned posturing of separation and isolation, just part of the evolutionary process to survive in this world. But to live is a few shades before survival. But to live is a few shades before survival. It's shared and happening here. This practice of exile and alienation does not need your attention now this practice of exile and alienation does not need your attention now not today let the crusties fall from your eyes let the weight of trying to hold it all together slip off your shoulders dance Sing, love, listen. What is dandelion saying to pond? Why has cow turned to maple for help? How is it that fallen leaf, cloud, and river valley are exchanging love notes with the stars? This is the intimacy of who we are. If you have forgotten, it's here. Come out and play. If you are lost, it's here. Welcome home. I like to read um, um, passages from Hongzhi. They are from a set of practice instructions in the cultivating the empty field entitled self and other the same self and other the same hungjur says all dharmas are in all dharmas are innately amazing beyond description all dharmas are innately amazing beyond description perfect vision has no gap Perfect vision has no gap. In mountain groves, grasslands, and woods, the truth is always being exhibited. Where is your mind? What is your mind? When self and other are the same, Hangzhou says, mind and dharma are one. When self and other are the same, mind and dharma are one." In Zen practice, we have three minds, three selves. In this rendition of Zen practice, we have three minds. Probably have many, many, many minds, if you count all of the voices. (laughs) But for today, We'll talk about them in this way, the small M mind and the small S self, and then the big M mind and the big S self, and then no mind and no self. So small S self, big S self, and no self. They all work together. They all cohabitate and are inseparable. So mind with the small m refers to the thinking mind. Sometimes we call it the intellect, the ego, the judgmental narrative self. It also refers to images and memories, thoughts, beliefs, ideas, views, our apparent histories, and our apparent futures. This is the meaning-making function of the mind. This mind can analyze, rationalize, tell and retell stories, paint fictions, and convince us of its hard truths. While this mind can be entertaining It also allows us to connect to language, to create beauty, as we attempt to share our experiences and to make sense of this world. And this mind is limited. It's limited. It has so many functions, and it's still limited. Isn't that amazing? It's limited in its view, actually. It's limited in its view, and it's limited in its function. So small-m mind can think, can imagine, can plan, can dream. And it's always interpreting experience. Small-m mind can convince us that it understands. Small-m mind can convince us that it knows, but its understanding and knowing are limited to the realm of concepts, frameworks, theories, can know some pretty amazing theories. And this capacity of the thinking mind can block us from true intimacy. If that's the only filter that we're living from. So how many families or relationships have been broken through a difference of a single belief? How many relationships ended over an argument, neither side willing to see the other perspective? How do your judgments and labels prevent you from seeing someone? like really actually meeting them in their wholeness? How do your judgments and labels, concepts, ideas prevent you from seeing yourself? How do your judgments, labels, concepts, ideas prevent you from being pierced by the beauty of the world, maybe the beauty and the tragedy of the world, from feeling connected to the planet, to other beings, to the more than human community, from a sense of true belonging or authenticity, it can be really helpful and it is really helpful to challenge to challenge beliefs by considering other perspectives and that is a cognitive function of the mind that we can take up someone else's perspective using imagination and the the thinking capacity of the mind the contemplating capacity of the mind and we can learn to widen our own views and limited beliefs and perspectives by listening to others, by reading, by reflecting, by contemplating, and then integrating what we learn into our own frameworks and theories and understanding. And that's how we grow and evolve as human beings and as a human species. The intellect is amazingly creative. Its capacities have led to breakthroughs in medicine, science, psychology, technology, philosophy, religion. Small M mind is a powerful tool that can be wielded to aid in the evolution of our species and planet and to destroy it. It's quite powerful. A part of dharma practice is coming into an honest relationship with the thinking mind seeing it for what it is, which is both appreciating its gifts and its limitations and then honing its capacities in service of our heart's deepest vows as opposed to its ordinary function, which is often to protect and defend this small-s self. a big m mind is awareness it is a step back from the thinking mind big m mind functions through the senses it is aware aware right now notice are you aware Like, really, really look. What is that question even asking? Are you aware? How do you know? Where do you look to get that information to confirm? If your eyes are open and I ask, Are you seeing? you would say, Yes. You know you are seeing. That is something that you can directly know through experience. Maybe a more direct way to ask is, is there seeing? Is seeing happening? And then yes would come come forward as a response. Hongzhi says, perfect vision has no gap. Perfect vision has no gap. No gap between the seeing and the seen. Isn't that true? I've been (laughs) saying this since I first started practicing, but where is the, the boundary between where your eye, your seeing, stops and the visual field begins? It's pretty seamless. I mean, we have these phrases and then like, it's all in your mind. This is all your mind. like, it really is, right? We experientially can wait. Wait, nothing is outside of my awareness. The same with the the auditory field. Is hearing happening? Yes. What is spoken is instantly heard. It's another quote from Hung what is spoken is instantly heard. Where's the gap between my voice and your awareness? I'm happening in your mind. Is feeling happening? Is thinking happening? Is awareness happening? Hongzhi says, senses and objects merge. Senses and objects merge. It's all one field. He he keeps saying that, right? It's all one field. This is the field of your mind. Everything that's arising is arising in your mind, in mind, big M mind. Senses and objects merge principle and wisdom are united. That's another quote from Hongzhi. Big M mind is simply aware. Hongzhi calls This aware, cognizant, knowing, function of the mind, illumination, or clarity. So we hear in the guidepost for silent illumination, which we're chanting during the lunch service, silent and serene, forgetting words, bright clarity appears before you. He's talking about this alert, aware, Awake, knowing function of the mind. And he's telling us exactly where it is <laughs> in our experience. Silent, below thought. When you forget words, it doesn't even mean like you need to make all the thoughts go away. It's just when you forget that those words are referring to you because they're not. You forget that. Awareness is allowed to illuminate. Bright clarity appears before you. Tangjara also says, and this is not in the silent illumination chant, this is back to self and other same. The pure, ultimate self blazes, brilliant simply from inherent illumination. The pure, ultimate self blazes, brilliant simply from inherent illumination. Inherent illumination. This function of awareness, you do not need to do anything to make illumination turn on that knowing awareness is, like we verified, is seeing happening. You know that it is. That's awareness. That's the luminous aspect of mind. Sometimes we use the word awakeness. Sometimes we use the word lucidity. Sometimes wakefulness. All to describe the aware function of mind. we all have the experience for, of being able to, for periods of time, to direct our attention, which is really to say to direct our awareness. So maybe in daily life, awareness is somewhat scattered and 90% of awareness or 80% of awareness is kind of fiddling around in thoughts, jumping from past to future, it's what I have to do next and the other 10 or 20% is shifting through the body, noticing how the body feels, panicking about aching places, and then scanning the external environment to make sure that we're safe. So this quality of awareness might not always feel very wakeful, It can because it's being distributed in so many different ways that it can feel dull, and there's a generalized sense of being, and that's what we call I. (laughs) POP! Then, maybe, a loud, unexpected sound happens, or we stub our toe, or we fall, or we step into a cold shower, and temporarily, attention is gathered it's vivified, right? Did that happen? A little bit. (laughs) Sorry if I scared anyone. But it's brightened, it's vivified. The self or the small m mind, the small s self or the small m mind, is temporarily forgotten. That kind of pull into past, future, past, future, past, future, that narrative making, knitting together experiences to create this illusion of self is disrupted. I have no idea what that is like for the people on Zoom. (laughs) And we're temporarily pulled out of that narration, out of that drama, out of that tangle of thought. And presence presences itself. Awareness shines through. Because that's the ground of being. The, The self that can get interrupted just by a scream That must not be our true self. The pure, ultimate self blazes, brilliant simply from inherent illumination. Inherent illumination. We call awareness the ground of being for this reason. When the thinking mind stops, which it does sometimes in meditation, doesn't it? even for, like, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> or it becomes less interesting. Or you, you just really do sink down below the... T- 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 or it stops referring to us. People have that experience, right? It's like my mind was throwing up images and words that didn't make any sense, you know? It's like... Um, so we have these... Experiences where the mind quiets and attention, or attention is directed to other aspects of experience and we're less identified with the thinking small-m mind. And awareness is just free to shine. And awareness can be recognized as that bright luminosity. And we call this the True Self, or capital S Self. And we all have experience of focusing attention. So I described earlier the generalized awareness when we are unfocused, where small-m mind is sort of wandering here and there, attention sweeping through thoughts and the room and our surroundings. But we don't live in this state all the time. We don't live in this state all the time. We all have the experience of gathering attention and placing it somewhere. So studying for an exam or reading a book or writing an email or arguing a point of view that requires concentration to focus the thinking mind to stay with that train of thought. We organize our thoughts. That's concentration, absorption. And other times like playing music or sports or listening to music or dancing, or playing yoga, or creating art, drawing, cooking, interior decorating, gardening, cleaning, all these activities require some degree of concentration of gathering attention and focusing on the task, on the creative endeavor, on the project, away from the meandering of thought and we're in direct experience. And people have the experience of getting lost in that, these activities, that's why we like them. Because the self steps aside for a little bit and that creative life force that we are is, is living through us. and We're not getting in our own way. And this can be blissful, this can be energizing. It's energizing, it's pleasurable to focus attention to hone awareness. And this is the same principle that we're employing in meditation and mindfulness. In meditation, the more interested we are in our meditation subject, which during this retreat we're calling our method, the more we will want to pay attention to it. And as we come into this stage of Sashin, where for everyone there has been tremendous settling, tremendous settling. And the mind is, is definitely more malleable, more flexible, more able to focus for periods of time. See if you can find simple pleasure or joy in your meditation. See if you can find simple pleasure or joy in your direct experience right now. I've talked about my nostrils a lot on this dharma seat. (laughs) But it's phenomenal. (laughs) A breath connoisseur. you can be one too <laughs> um just the you know that the temperature changes that you can come to recognize and the pleasure of just breathing and it's, it's like taken me a while to find it here in my nostrils but found it in my belly before and just the whole experience of the body breathing without us needing to control it there is sensation of breath. So this is permission to fall in love with your breath or the sensations in your hands or the color of the floor or the wind in the bamboo. Whatever your meditation subject is The, the invitation, the encouragement is to become intimate with it. To fall in love, to court it, to enjoy. Hangzhou says, all dharmas are innately amazing beyond description. All practices are innately amazing beyond description. There's an invitation right there. Perfect vision has no gap In mountain groves, grasslands, and woods, the truth is always being exhibited. Everyone has settled into a practice method or methods during this sishin. What if you let yourself, with wild abandon, enjoy it? Even find pleasure, unprovoked happiness. I feel like I often need to, need to be invited into that. For whatever reason, I like had, took on a view early on in practice that meditation is supposed to be hard. I didn't trust pleasure. The Buddha talks about happiness as a precursor to concentration states. And then when he talks about concentration states, he talks about bliss. Give yourself permission to explore, to explore, to enjoy, to love, to fall in love with the present moment. Sensory spirit experience does have an ecstasy to it. Sensual. Even what we might call ordinarily, in the ordinary mind, painful, when we attend, when we really pay attention, there can be pleasure in discomfort. And that kind of raw sensation of the legs still sitting, (laughs) still cross-legged or still rubbing up against the seat. The act of paying attention opens up subtler layers of being and awareness. So uh, there's a teaching in Buddhism of the three kayas, the three bodies of the Buddha. And we sing this in our meal chant, Uh, dharmakaya, sambhogakaya, nirmanakaya. Gross body-mind is nirmanakaya, Uh, subtle, more subtle body-mind is sambhogakaya, and the essence body-mind is dharmakaya. These are three aspects of experience that we're experiencing all the time, but often um, in our ordinary lives, we're more identified with just, wow, you did that at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> what caused what? <laughs> it's all happening at once. <laughs> so we're more identified with the the what, what I call the gross level of experience, so pain feels painful, and um, as our attention deepens, and in meditation this happens, this is often why at this time in Sashin there's just more space and more calm and more pleasure in the mind, as well as other things, of course, um, But as we shift from being totally identified with the surface level, level, the gross physical body, um, the more the subtle sense of the bliss body or the energetic body becomes part of our awareness, experience, and the essence level of mind. Hongzhi wrote a poem dedicated to the Hall of Pure Bliss, which we're chanting at dinner service. And he's speaking to this subtle pleasure of presence, of awareness. He says in the beginning, the deep source of realization comes with constancy, bliss, self, and purity. Its purity is constant, its bliss is myself. Big M mind is spacious, vast, without boundary. So right now, I invite you to become aware of the space in this room. However <laughs> however you do that, you can open your eyes and um, take in the space. Normally we kind of move between the objects, but the invitation here is to become aware of the space between the objects, the absence of objects. <laughs> or for some people, Um, Closing the eyes can be helpful and feeling, having more of a felt sense of the space surrounding the body, space around the body and then filling the room. Now become aware that you're aware and let your attention mix with the felt sense or visual sense of space so that it's one seamless awareness space. Where awareness is not bound by the body, it's not inside your body, or bound by the head. Awareness pouring out into the space of the room, the space of the room mingling with awareness. And then see if you can extend your awareness beyond the walls of this room to outside. Space of the sky. Mixing attention with the space Another way to do this is to imagine that the space of the room the space of the sky is looking back at you or the sense of you. And then notice the body arises in awareness. Body arises in space. Sensations arise in space. Thoughts arise in awareness. The small M mind arises in the big M mind. Body arises in awareness. Thoughts arise in awareness. Return, disappear. Sounds, visual field arises in awareness. Everything that's happening is happening in mind, inseparable from mind. Thanks for trying that on. Small M mind arises in big M mind. We sometimes try and practice to get big-M mind to arise in small-M minds, parameters, ideas, views. We sometimes spend a lot of time on the cushion thinking about practice. Has anyone ever done that? (laughs) Or thinking about meditation or thinking about mind. Thinking about big-M mind is not the same as being big big M mind as being aware. Small M mind arises in big M mind. The The intellect cannot control awareness. The intellect can conceptualize, analyze, try to disprove and doubt awareness and probably has. And all that conceptualization, analysis, debate, and argument is happening in awareness, in big M mind. And awareness doesn't buy into it. Small M mind might, but awareness doesn't buy into it. It allows the creativity and the small genius of the thinking mind to do its cartwheels, its backflips, its somersaults, neither impressed nor disparaging, just allows. When we identify with small M mind's doubts, we can forget about big M mind's freedom and its functioning and its capacity, which we just experimented with, how vast that capacity is, right? So remember that. If you forget everything about this session, remember how big your mind is. Zoom out. And since the intellect is so quick to turn big M mind into a thing, into a concept, into an experience that we need to get, into a project, a trophy, we have no mind. Hangzhou says, inside the circle the self vanishes, neither existent nor non-existent, neither existent nor non-existent. Inside the circle, the mind vanishes, neither existent nor non-existent. We can turn awareness into a concept, mind and awareness into a concept. Mind is spacious, vast, without boundary. It is living, undefinable, unknowable. So we say mystery. If practice only includes the light, only includes knowingness, we subtly start to identify with awareness, with knowing. The Dharma includes the light and the dark. Reality includes knowing and not knowing. Suzuki Roshi says, emptiness is like a dark sky. Emptiness is like a dark sky. We have a koan. Darkness is the home from which you come. Darkness is the home from which you come. Chosen once said to me when I was pontificating about awareness, that darkness is the home from which you come is the most important teaching in the Zen school, important for all of us sitting there holding on to the ox's tail. Goso said, it is like an ox trying to pass through a window. The horns, head, four legs all pass through. Why is it that the tiny tail cannot? The ox, big M, mind. I want to see it. I want to describe it. I want to hold on to it. I want to get more of it. How quickly the mind of discrimination comes in claiming territory. The knowing mind comes in in so many ways. It's the wind. Awareness is like space. I get it. I figured it out. I know it. Now who can I tell? I'm going to write my enlightenment poem. <laughs> did you ever do that? I, I did that. I probably did that every session. <laughs> What is it like not to know? What is it like not to know? <clears throat> Terrifying, maybe. Yeah. Jogan likes this word, uncertainty. I don't know if he likes it. He uses it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uncertainty. What is it like to be uncertain? Why would you want to be uncertain? Was that a crow? I don't know. When is the bell going to ring? I don't know. I'm terrible at this. I don't know. This is hopeless. I don't know. What am I going to say in Sansan? I don't know. (laughs) Who am I? I don't know. Darkness, unknowing, darkness, unknowing is essential. Sitting in the open question, a genuine don't know, a genuine don't know. For don't know can also become a position, a kind of knowing that we can cling to Who is this? What? Wow. What is this wonder, Hongzhi says. So many of the the teachings in that um, Cultivating the Empty Field book, he just remarks about the wondrous nature of practice realization. What is this wonder? In either one of the guideposts, Silent Illumination or Hall of Pure Bliss, what is this wonder? Alertly seeing through confusion, just activating awareness. What is this wonder? For those of us who are smart, the dark sky, uncertainty, not knowing, is difficult to practice. It's an invitation to be not so smart. In the Zen tradition, the invitation is to be like a fool. One of our chances says, like a fool, like an idiot. Which in one sense is total permission to make mistakes. Total permission to make mistakes. And even make loud mistakes sometimes. Kisei said. (laughs) And to not be so smart. Another analogy that I like from the Tibetan tradition is to be like a child, just also from the Christian tradition. Be a child of illusion, the Logong, Lojong teachings of the Tibetan school of Buddhism instruct. Or like a child entering a beautiful temple. Just like, in Tibet, the temples are much more beautiful than this. There's like all this color and objects that are interesting shapes and deities and gold statues. And paintings, colorful paintings. I've never been to Tibet. I've looked at them, pictures on the internet. (laughs) You can can have a childlike mind with the internet. Child entering, or like a child entering the forest or the garden. David P. takes the Children for Children's program to the garden. Spiritual practice involves returning to our innocence. For some, it might feel like reclaiming innocence, remembering ourselves back to that. Childlike wonder that we all possess in full capacity. Watching the baby birds out in front of the office, they just learned to turn around and poop. <laughs> off the side of the nest, which exposes their tiny bodies and they're kind of... they're not really skilled at it yet, so they're a little delicate as they're trying to turn around, and they're not quite fully feathered yet. or wordless breathing, being breathed, allowing breath to fill the body on the inhalation, empty the body on the exhalation. And maybe that's too much, just that rise and fall, rise and fall. Is this wonder? Or simply being. Remember being, watching kids play, watching kids wander, or watch life, getting absorbed in watching ants or the spider web blowing in the wind, or the fun of eating. Remember when eating used to be fun? colorful delights the taste of a single blueberry or that simple act of playing pure innocence playing part discovery part joy part inquiry part communion part celebration Matthew 18:3 If you wish to enter the kingdom of heaven you must become like a child To really enjoy something, to really enjoy something, to know someone or something intimately, often involves the spirit of creative play, doesn't it? Suspending belief and judgment. I think about flirting or falling in love. We let ourselves be innocent fools in those times in our lives. Like really foolish sometimes. We suspend judgment and belief. We reveal too much about ourselves. You can be an innocent fool with yourself, with your practice. Expose yourself too much. It's fine. What if you forgot everything you know about yourself? Everything you know about time, space, meditation, spiritual practice, this body, pain, pleasure, good, bad. What if you just arrived here, completely new, unadorned, unadorned by what you think you are supposed to be or do? What if you let yourself court your experience court big M mind, court emptiness, court yourself. Hangzhou says, rely only on the source of creation. Rely only on the source of creation. I love this word spontaneity, unborn, unconditioned rely only on the source of creation. You don't need to prove to anyone how smart you are, how you got it all figured out, how you belong. Here in the center of your own life, you are already enough. In full measure, the kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Hangzhou says, the mirror is clear and magnanimous. The mirror is clear and magnanimous. The valley is empty but echoes. From the beginning, unbounded by seeing or hearing, the genuine self romps and plays in samadhi without obstruction. When enacted like this, how could it not be beneficial? From the beginning, unbounded by seeing or hearing, the genuine self romps and plays in samadhi without obstruction. When enacted like this, how could it not be beneficial?